Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Leslie Gist, and you're listening to the Gist of Freedom. Tonight, um, we have on the line Miss Karen Jones Meadows. She is starring in her one-woman show, the renowned uh, Harriet Tubman show, a play. Uh, it's been um, well-received throughout the world. Uh, Miss Meadows has been uh, performing this play for at least two decades, and I'm so happy to welcome you on to the Gist of Freedom. Are you there, Karen? Thank you very, very much. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. <laughs> okay. I'm glad to have you on. And I think the show is quite timely, considering all that is going on in the press in our lives in the last um, 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you sound a lot more calm than I do. I'm quite emotional over it. So I'm going to allow you to do much of the talking. Um, because you're more composed and you are more professional and articulate. So would you just tell the audience exactly what's happening and in the context of your historical play, Harriet Tubman, could you bring, um, could you merge the two in somehow, some way? Yes, I can. And I do want to say that I might be a bit more composed in the moment, but I work for it, and I'm certainly not more professional than you. <laughs> we're about the same. Yeah, you know, so much. I wrote out, I wrote a post today, and it took me a good while to write it because I knew some components that I wanted to have in it to make sure that it came out the right way and it didn't have the charge that you're talking about because it's beyond, it's just, Beyond everything that's happening in in the world right now is beyond um, comprehension. But I believe there's a reason. So I'm just going to read this and then talk about it some. And in terms of Harriet Tubman, mm-hmm. um, which you know I do her play, which is called Harriet's Return, and it is her play. <laughs> I just get to do it, um, and right. it's based upon her life. And you said two decades in different incarnations, and I'll I'll get into that later. But Harriet Tubman was so many things and is. To me, she has residual energy that she left here. She's our mother spirit in a lot of ways, and that's why she touches so many lives. That's why people pray to her, why people ask for the strength of Harriet, for the wisdom of Harriet. And she had that because she tapped into that within herself. Um, she was a community activist. She was a strategist. She was an entrepreneur. And all of that together composed her because she knew what she was doing. And I believe that we have the opportunity now to hone all of that within ourselves and within our communities and know what we're doing. So I wrote, people kept writing, kept seeing when when will this stop, when will this stop, and when will this stop. It was a theme. So I wrote, it will stop because we will stop it. Everything is coming up so that putrid, lingering hatred disguised in a myriad of ways will no longer have the power of protection. As hard as this process is, we see strength, 
assisted with the presence of mind to live through recording her partner's murder, change at a core level, removing the possibility of denial and excuses about current racial realities. The big truth is being forced to the surface daily, not only here but everywhere. It is time to confront truth in ourselves, families, relationships, communities, nation, and world. The universe, life, naturally expands, and we can go with it or combust. We are being forced in so many ways to choose between putting clean clothes on top of dirty ones and acting like all is well, or getting naked, taking a cleansing bath, and stepping out into the power of wholeness and unity we were meant to be, with each one of us contributing in our own way to the next phase of uplifted life individually and collectively. And as I said, it took me a while to write that because I wanted it to say exactly what I meant and not have that charge, not have the emotions gone wild. And I do believe that we are having a a transition, a huge transformation. And and any time there's huge upheaval, huge shit, like getting born. Getting born does it comes with pain. It doesn't just happen, you know, no one just flows out. It it's work. And it's the same thing with this. And we're in a pressure cooker. And we have to account for ourselves, our in our individuality, but also the love that we have for each other. We need to return to that soul center. And Harriet had that, and Harriet taught that, and Harriet did that, and she continues to do that, and that's why people are drawn to her. So that's okay. Okay. Uh, what you're talking about, what recently happened is, and, I, and we had two uh, black unarmed men uh, were um, shot and eventually died one on camera uh, while he was being streamed live by his girlfriend on Facebook, which is a recent uh, a new technology that Facebook has added where you can hit one button and go live and broadcast and stream. And his girlfriend, which was in the car with him, uh, streamed, the shooting after the police officer shot him. His seat belt was still buckled in place. A four-year-old was in the back seat, and he was shot four times. In the world, four million hits within a few hours witnessed this man take his last breath while a screaming officer holding a gun and pointing, pointing the gun at the surviving woman with her child witnessing all of this and she had the mindset to with some real composure to explain to the Facebook audience what she was going through earlier less than 24 hours earlier um, a video was released of another unarmed black man being um, subdued uh, they had a, two police officers had their knees in his, on his back. He was on the ground, similar to Eric Garner in New York, who um, who everyone can hear him saying when his was recorded, "I can't breathe." So they looked eerily the same, and these two police officers pulled out their gun while having him 
something like hog tie, um, and proceeded to shoot him at point blank range. And prior to shooting him, one of them yelled, he has a gun. And then after they shot him, and this is all alleged, and after he was shot, you can see on the video camera that one of the officers went in his pocket as if he was removing something. That's what it looks like. This is what has been reported, and you can see it for yourself if you just Google these shootings. So as you can imagine, we are currently in a state of unrest. There's protests going on throughout the country, New York, Fifth Avenue, which is a very busy and financial district. Of course, um, in the towns and cities where these two incidents took place, um, you have unrest. Um, so when we talk about um, how are we going to resolve these issues, we always look back at our ancestors. And one of the ancestors who was very successful in resolving um, uh, very similar incidents as the ones we're going through now is Miss Harriet Tubman. She started her campaign after the 1850 Fugitives Law was passed. And the Fugitives Law is very similar to the Stand Your Ground Law. The Stand Your Ground Law allows someone to provoke an individual and then to turn around and say, if that person defended themselves, that they themselves who provoked a provocateur, correctly pronouncing it, is allowed to shoot the person they provoked. And this has been going on ever since the Stand Your Ground Law was passed. And it started with a young man, a teenager, Trayvon Martin. So in 1850, and I'm going to let you get in here, Karen, right away. In 1850, there was a law passed as a result of California being admitted into the Union. It was a negotiation by a, a congressman named Clay. And he is, um, the name Clay is associated with Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay. Muhammad Ali was named Cassius Marcellus Clay. His father was named Cassius Marcellus Clay um, after the abolitionist Cassius Marcellus Clay out of Kentucky. This man was known as, this was his cousin that Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali was named after. But the great compromiser, Henry Clay, was part of negotiations to admit California into the Union as a free state in exchange for for the Southerners, the slavers, to allow this uh, to allow California to be admitted into to the Union was the free states, the abolitionists could receive the gold in California, and the slavers felt that slaves were worth more than gold. And they said, okay, you can have California in this gold if you allow us to cross the border and retrieve all the property that Harriet and Underground Railroad had stolen from them. Prior to 1850, they had to go and get a warrant and go before a judge in order to remove someone 
and take them back into slavery across the Mason-Dixon line. Of course, when this law was passed, all hell broke out. If you were born free two or three generations in Philadelphia in the north, if someone accused you of being a runaway slave, you did not have any due process. So as you can imagine, black churches in the north um, became barren and uh, like in black towns became ghost towns, and a lot of people fled to Canada. And at this, during this era, it was Harriet Tubman who became prominent, who kept going back, and instead of taking people to the north because of this law, the north was no longer a safe haven. She took them all the way to Canada. So I'm going to let you pick up from this point, and I'm going to sit back, put my phone on mute, <laughs> and let you talk about Harriet and your play because you okay. have so many interesting um, facts that most people don't know about Harriet. We don't want to give away your play. I saw it twice, and I'm going to see it again. So when, uh, when can some of our – tell us if there's any special events that you want to talk about before we delve deeply into this conversation. Well, well, absolutely. If you are in the New York or the greater New York high-state area, (laughs) um, I'm going to be performing Harriet's Return based upon the legendary life of Harriet Tubman on July 17, 18, and 19 in Manhattan. And it's at the Marjorie S. Dean Theater, which is on 64th Street between Broadway and Central Park West. If you go to my Facebook page, which is Karen Jones Meadows Now, you have to add the now, or if you go to website, Karen Jones Meadows or Harriet's Return, it will all take you there. On, it, it's, it's by invitation, but I am inviting you. And so if you'd like to participate, if you'd like to come, there isn't a charge. Of course, you probably need to sign up now because we have a lot of people coming, so it's a good idea that you RSVP. And the RSVPs go to the date. So if it's if you want to come on a Sunday, then it's Sunday, Harriet's Return at Gmail dot com. If you want to come on Monday, it's Monday, um, Harriet's Return at Gmail dot com, or Tuesday, Harriet's Return at Gmail dot com. We can get back to that. Um, I, you know, there was a Fugitive Slave Act in seventeen fifty three, I believe it was, and um, 1793, and so this was a coming back. And Harriet, there, there's actually a line in Harriet about it. She talks about what what you just said, Leslie. That we, we have to go twice as far, ten times more dangerous, all the way to Canada now, and that we're going to have to fight like Hannibal, like Queen Nzinga the Portuguese. That that's a lot of course it's done in a more theatrical way. And Harriet was savvy. She was I said she was a strategist before. Harriet was a thinker. She also listened to her guides. And I keep coming back to this because we have to do that. We have to have our soul connection at the forefront because there cannot be I'm going to use the word perceived enemy that we think has more power than we do. And the only reason we think there's more power on the outer planes is because we're not checking in on our inner plane. Our soul will tell us what to do. It, it directs us. It's hard to listen to sometimes. It takes practice, but it can be done. 
and I, I, I'm not talking about following any particular religious doctrine. I'm talking about the thing in me that goes, Karen, don't do that. And I go, yeah, but I really don't do it, and learning to, to listen to that. And a lot of the play is about Harriet's cathartic process. She didn't get born and go, you know, I think what I'm going to do is go back 19 times and do this, that, the other, and fight in the Civil War and all the various things that she did. She had a process, and she had guidance along the way also. And this play is about freedom and love. Of course, the period of our enslavement is in there, that whole, and, and, and the details about what goes on during that. But it's very personal, it's very specific, and it's about having a fire within you that will not let you be oppressed or suppressed by somebody else. And and also not by ourselves because we do undo our own good sometimes. And the play starts in the contemporary, and I did that because I love history, but there are a lot of people who don't love history, and they don't understand why knowing about our ancestry, no matter what it is, is important because there's a lineage and there's cellular memory. There's certain things that trigger. When I get ready to do the play, when I'm if I haven't done it in a while and I come two weeks up, I start getting all it's not a stress actually. It's it's a resistance that actually I guess comes up. And and there's all this energy around and I feel the sadness come over me. But I also can feel rage, all these different things and it's cellular memory. It is it is pervasive and because in the United States we don't deal with it in any way that is permanently healing or more deeply healing than it has been. We have lots of band-aids and then the band-aids get ripped off and then other wild stuff happens and, and, and so we, we we keep recycling the same thing and until we get to the core it's not going to change. And that's something that I've had to realize, come to, and I make a point of focusing on what I want to create, not what I don't want to be a part of. Because if I put the energy into what I'm resisting or into what I'm fighting, then I can't put it on what I want to have happen. I want our children to be well-educated in good schools. I put my energy into that. I want people to know who they are and so that they can take that that fire, that energy that's innately a part of each one of us and be themselves and go out in the world and do that which they want to do. And Harriet had that as well. And so it starts in in the beginning, and she's hearing these disparaging things about African-descended people from other African-descended people because she's in an African-American-owned restaurant. And it sets her off. And so I'm just going to do a little bit from the top. And she's just... This person, uh, I'll do the, I'll do the man first because he, he says, "You pick any black man in this room, I'll give him a cigar, ride in my Benz, call him Mister Blah Blah, sell that sucker death dust. Don't know crystal from a jelly jar. Black people stupid, deserve to be killing each other, especially the kind doing it. What kind? I feel my head snap around. He goes on. Every other immigrant's woven into the political, social." family, and economic structure this nation, except us. Fool, you don't think the brother who owns this place is woven for a group of non-immigrants who were dragged off their land by folk who didn't know jack about where they were, then forced from all aspects of normal human life for hundreds of years, we are greatly woven. 
We fully participate in and create this culture our ancestors built, fought wars for. Is anybody in here paying with something other than U.S. checks, cash, credit? Did you forget how many of us died so you could dine out this fine evening, go to school, get the vote, live somewhere? Well, that's what I wanted to say. But instead, I clasped my hands over my mouth to keep from going off. And my date asked if I'm okay. Did I burn myself? And I shake my head yes. And then no. Because I don't like to lie. Then it begins. Dizziness. A haze of thoughts and pictures ripped through my mind of African-descended people doing every kind of thing doable since the last time I was here, which wasn't that long ago. You see. I remember when I drive down I-95 or 77, I don't see cherry blossom-lined highways. I see sweat rolling down the backs of slave laborers, humpback women and glass-eyed men with cuts in their hands and pus in their feet from picking whatever the overseer tells them for the day. The ancestors and the voices that guide me are calling me now. I take my date's hand because I want to stay here. He's trying to understand he's holding on, but it's futile because I know what I have to do. And we are absolutely in two different worlds. The voices say, come, Harriet. I don't want to go back. And then from there we go on. Wow, wow, wow. That's something very, very powerful, how you weave the uh, past uh, with the present. And I like how you said that you don't see tree-lined areas. You see, you know, enslaved people working. And I think many of us do today when we see certain areas, you know, we think, you know, that's a pretty structure. I'm pretty sure we have something to do with building it, you know, mm-hmm. especially when you visit the south, like south, um, where is it, um, Charleston and Georgia, you see those. Those same big homes and mansions, and right. you know we had some part of it. Um, now we we're all excited about Harriet. Um, it is said that she is going to be uh, honored on the twenty dollar bill. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that Harriet was an entrepreneur, and yes. I posted a picture of her home, which she. And I'm going to read from my post that Tubman escaped from slavery in Maryland in 1849, but she returned numerous times to rescue at least 70 other people. In 1859, she moved to a house in Auburn, New York. In 1896, she bought 25 acres next to that property where she opened the Harriet Tubman Home for the Age, which provided housing for elderly African Americans. She deeded the establishment to the AME. Zion Church in 1903 with the agreement that they would manage the home and the property according to the National Park Service. So, you know, when we see Harriet's pictures of her in the woods and some pictures recently show her with a gun, we don't look at Harriet as being an entrepreneur buying property and, as you know, owning a home for the aged. Mm-hmm. So... Putting all that into context and knowing that she is going to be on a $20 bill, how was Harriet as an entrepreneur? And, you know, could you give us a little bit 
about that phase of her and if you mention it in the play at all. Okay. Oh, yes, it's definitely in the play. Um, uh-huh. she, had, she had the home for aged and indigent Negroes. She had a cookhouse, bakery, laundry. She had a, 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 a vegetable and garden business that she did. Um, she was a, a, a supporter of schools and churches, and she believed in education, and she she did everything that was possible to do I mean, in, in her own home. And I got to walk in her home, which was really quite amazing. I, so I, I really walked where Harriet walked, and that was quite special. You know, I think about her on the money. I certainly got, you know, 8,000 calls and, and and everything about Harriet being on money, and I've gone back and forth about it, and I, I have di- different feelings about it that come and go, and I think of Harriet as a person who didn't ask permission about anything. She did what she wanted to do, and it wasn't easy, but she did it. And I've come to a balance of if it happens, and I'm, I have some skepticism about it, but if it does happen, I think there's such an irony, particularly in that she's going to be on the front and Andrew Jackson apparently will be on the back, and that is in the place. No, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. They're going to and keep him on? It's quite, they want to keep him on the back. And then there was a movement to, not to have her on and just keep him on the, on the front. And what's interesting, and that's why I believe in the activity of the universe and when you pay attention, because Andrew Jackson is in the play. Andrew Jackson, in fact, I'm trying to see if I can do the line without coming. Um, stuff, stuff is going on. Harriet's talking to somebody who who is talking about how much she and Andrew Jackson are friends. She's talking to another African-American person who's saying she's had conversations with him, and Harriet takes exception to this. And she calls him the most hateful, treacherous scoundrel of a man ever took a hold of a breath. And any colored person could like him got to be in their own self because ain't nothing worse than being against your own people, especially since it's the masses paying you today. So Andrew Jackson's in there, and so I find that quite ironic. And mm. I think what, what came to me, because I did ask, because I do chat with her, and she said it would be really cool if we, as a collective community, Af- African Americans and all others who would like to participate, had our own money with Harriet and Sojourner and Frederick and uh, whomever, whomever else, and then contemporary people like Michelle Alexander and Brian Stevenson. And we circulate this money in our, our, our community and pay for our goods and services with this money. And we build community and businesses. And that's what came in. And I liked it, so I thought I'd share it with you. <laughs> oh, uh, that's a wonderful idea. And, and because of uh, these uh, shootings in the last 24 hours, there is an economic boycott, and uh, people are, I you know, that. talking about it and um, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to handle it. And, you know, I recommend that you use the Internet to make your purchases, not just from um, anyone in America, but outside the country. You know, you hear many times people have to go to Canada to get um, inexpensive uh, drugs and pharmaceutical right. products. Mm-hmm. So I think you know we should ride that wave and get toilet paper, all our essentials. Buy it from and, all, and also think about what we're buying because right. that comes up as well. You know, where is our money going? What are we spending it on? And who's benefiting from it? Right. Uh, a lot of money goes into things that are 
consumable goods that don't do us any, any good and put money into the hands of pocket, the, the pockets of people who are not thinking about us. And so I think that's very, very important. And one reason I, I, I first started doing this play a long time ago, and it was in a much simpler form. It, it has grown um, from what it was. It's been in this form for a good while. However, it started, and I would do sometimes with young people, and when I came in as Harriet, they, they were horrified. They were embarrassed. And I think we don't understand the power and the pride we, we should have in ourselves and in our ancestry because what we endured and how we have come forward in so many ways is beyond any level of expectation of ability among people. And we have survived and thrived. And we have actually designed the course of not only much that goes on in this country, but in other countries, but we don't own it. We won't, we, we don't see it, and we take on the images of other people and accept um, being marginalized and put in subservient, a, a subservient context, which isn't true. But as I said, I think all of that is shifting. That's why we have all this upheaval. We, and, and, and even within our own uh, communities, last week, my best friend called me, and she was really upset because a young boy was, was shot and killed in the drive-by. She lives in Chicago. And, you know, it's, every time it happens, it's not okay. And some people think there's a passivity. There's a whole lot of activity going on to make change within our own communities. And it needs to be acknowledged and supported. And I'd say the vast majority of people are, are moving toward that. And, mm-hmm. and are active in some way, shape, or form. But we still have to not have to have our children um, scared to go to school. She was telling me about there, there, there's a, I, I don't remember the name of it, but there's a path that the students go to go to school and adults basically protect them. They make a human barricade so they can safely go to and from school within our own communities. I'm glad it's happening, well, but I wish it didn't have to happen. Yes, and when we say our own communities, um, we don't have our own communities anymore. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the cities, these these communities that the majority of blacks live in in urban settings Mm -hmm. are being governed and they are under a police state. Yes, you're right. They're under Mm -hmm. siege. So they're never our communities. As long as the the community is being governed and policed by an entity that has historically caused problems, that which has historically brought in alcohol. I don't care if it's a Native Americans community or African Americans mm-hmm. that bring in destruction, and then they hide under mm-hmm. the guise that they're there to serve and protect, mm-hmm. and they are the gang leaders, and they they are allowing these young thugs who are so-called committing these drive-bys, which I don't think black children, call them thugs or whatever we want to call them, have the skill level to have the accuracy to shoot as well mm-hmm. as they are, and they definitely don't have the smarts to get away with it. Mm-hmm. So 
I don't really believe, I believe 90%, and I've been saying this ever since Larry, what's his name? Larry Davis of, in New York from the 80s, mm-hmm. um, ran from the police, and he was under a hit mm-hmm. from the police department. And he shot back and mm-hmm. shot some of them. And ever since then, we have been seeing a growing trend where now it's black-on-black thugs shooting each other, and the police can't figure out who shoot, who's shooting who. And the guns are somehow getting into our community. Mm-hmm. So our communities have have stopped being our communities. You know, prior to segregation, we could say our communities because they weren't in it. You know, we didn't have white police officers. We had black police officers, or we didn't have any. So now we have a community that appears to be ours because we're living in it, but, you know. We're not in control we don't have control of it, and and they have they're working hand in hand with the um, the element that are criminals, the criminal element, and the police are all the same. So when we say if a person is being shot by a police officer, or a person is being shot by a, a black teenager, as you mentioned earlier, it's the same spirit. Mm-hmm. It's the same spirit. It might be. The body may look different in the outside, but it's the same entity working in unison. So, you know, we have to seriously look at that as to why is this happening. And and when we and I'm gonna shift it to quickly to um the recent terrorism that America, white Americans mm-hmm. are experiencing. Mhm. And it's karma. Um you know, we had the last shooting in Orlando, almost 50 people murdered. Right. And then we go back to Trayvon, one kid. Obama came out for the 50. He, I think he tweeted and made a comment about what, what just happened last 24 hours. So when we look at white people's terrorism and what's going on with them and what they think is uh, the Muslim terrorizing them, the Islamic people. Um, I think they're getting a taste of what we have have been uh, dealing with for centuries here, you know, at least yeah, centuries, I could say centuries. So when we look at Harriet, Harriet was extremely brave when she went back and she understood she had to go all the way to Canada. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I would like for you to pick up on her spirituality and the Bible because in September the the uh, National Smithsonian is going to open up the African American Museum, right? Right. In D.C. And I read that they're going to include Harriet's hymn book, not her Bible, but her hymn. Right, right, right. Her hymn, no. Uh huh. All right. Could you talk a little bit about you know? some historical places that you recommend people visit and learn more about Harriet, and, of course, talk about this hymn book and the museum in D.C. Okay. Well, certainly um, the Harriet Tubman home in in Auburn, New York, which is where she lived for a very long time, and it is an historical landmark. They just – it was, as you said, it was deeded to to the the church, and Reverend Carter and his wife – I want to say Catherine, I'm not at the moment, I think it's Catherine, um, have been 
take, taken care of it for years. Park Services has, has taken over now, and it's a part of um, the Park Services auspices. It's, un, it's under their auspices. How it will change, I really don't know, or if it will change. Um, and when you're doing that, also the Stewart, um, the Seward, not Stewart, Seward Museum is also right near there, and Harriet's gravesite is there. And there's something interesting about the gravesite. When she was buried, they they didn't have much money, and they did a little sprig, a little sapling, which is the biggest tree in the in the cemetery. Now it's a giant. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It really. I mean, it just hovers no. over everything. Now, Karen, do you think that's a good idea to have the National Park take over the church as opposed to the the church taking over her home? I mean, I liked it private. I did. I mean, I, I you know, I, I wish on so many counts that we would hold on to what we have. We have so much, and and here, and, and I don't know, I don't know if you know what's going on in 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 uh, the Gullah Islands and in Saint Simon where. All this property is being purchased for definitely not enough, enough money, and my understanding is that people had um, domestic workers had all these homes and in the um, on the waterfront in, because uh-huh. that was not desirable at that time. It is now desirable, so they're getting paid like fifty thousand dollars, which won't last very long, and 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 moving out, and then mansions are being put, uh, built there, and. I would have liked us to have kept it. That's my personal opinion. Um, and I think Harriet, too. Harriet understood ownership. Harriet understood her innate rights as a as a person. And I would, one, okay, I'll put it this way. One reason I moved south, I'm from the Bronx. I'm from New York. And mm-hmm. I grew up there and I went to school in Boston and blah, blah, blah. And my father took me south, and I saw that we, as African-descended people, had our own everything, schools, businesses, you name it, just everything, our own true communities. And I said, I want to live there because it felt whole. It felt safe. It felt um, a place where we could thrive and expand and express ourselves at all times. And And... That doesn't happen, and it's happening less and less. And there are a lot of reasons for it. And I, I was thinking today, before we did this, did this interview, that I've lived long enough and seen enough to know when we were about to tip the scales in a nice big way um, during the 60s and 70s and how things shifted the other way because um, there, there's a play, I'm trying to remember uh, the, the author because I know who she is, but I'll get it. It's called um, Crumbs from the Table of Joy, and I love that title. And um, I'm I'm trying to look at, I'm I'm trying to get her her name so that I I give her. Well, we'll come back to it. Tell us more about it. Lynn Nottage wrote it. But I love love that title because that's kind of what it turned into, Crumbs Mm -hmm. from the Table of Joy. It seemed like, okay, we're going to, Mix in, we we are um, we're part of the fabric. We're a recognized part of the fabric because we've all been part of the fabric. 
but we're a recognized mm-hmm. part of the fabric across the board. And then we began not to recognize ourselves, and we were looking at the wrong fabric, you know. <laughs> so okay. it is it is about us making that that pendulum is swinging back, I think, the other way. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think about this, and and I, you know, I'm sorry if somebody's offended, but I think about it a lot. I think about mm-hmm. the fact that we spend I don't know billions, literally billions of dollars on hair that doesn't belong to us, <laughs> that makes right. other people really wealthy, that, in my opinion, doesn't make us look a whole lot better than we were looking. <laughs> that I think we look pretty good as we are, and it's only because we don't recognize our own beauty. We well, don't we recognize... A different shows entirely, and you are correct, and I, I wrote a play called Harlem Whitewash, and I include in, in the play um, scenes about skin bleaching, mm-hmm. and that is on the rise all over the world. I was about, um, I was about to say, and it's not, just, it's not just about us. So what is it that is making us <laughs> people, not people, what is it that says I will, I will drop my entire sense of being and adopt somebody else's tire, entire sense of being because I think they have something that I want that I don't have, and it's not true. We have what we need, again, when we go inside and say, how do I express my fullness? And, how, yes. and because it's, it's, as you said, it's pervasive. I've seen people from every ethnicity with blonde hair, and it right. looks crazy. <laughs> and, right. and even I mean, changing and people, your eyes. There, there, there are people from everything. I mean, and I've, I've seen some, some African-American people, and I've got some people in my family with blonde hair. When you're, you're born like that, that's, a not, that's not the same thing. But when we right. are denying ourselves or putting somebody else's standards of beauty and education. And the other thing is we also seem collectively, not everyone, and there's a lot of said, I would now reiterate, we, are, we make some amazing strides. We do some amazing things all the time. But, the, but that which isn't flourishing and that which isn't our highest good comes from a lack of understanding, I believe, of who we are, where we came from, and our, and our potential to do whatever we want, wherever we want. Um, well, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna jump in and talk a little bit. Um, and I have to make this joke because you know we have to laugh to keep from crying. But when we talk about um, black people and hair and dyeing your hair blonde, we have to look at Trump. If you look at Donald Trump's pictures when he was much younger. He had mm-hmm. brown hair and a pure mm-hmm. white European face. Mm-hmm. Now, he's claiming he wants to make America great again. Mm-hmm. But I challenge him to make himself white again. He is now <laughs> a blonde man with an orange face mm-hmm. and white eyelids. So he looks a hot mess, and he himself has the same problem that we're talking about some African women have when they put on blonde hair. He is not a natural blonde. You know, we, some people think it's a toupee. So this this psyche of being in, feeling inferior and changing your outer appearance usually has something to do with how you feel within. So exactly. it's across the board. And, and and I want to move on to, you mentioned that the, sometimes the students would cringe when you came right. out. When I got there, when I left the Chester out, 
and that's what right. I love, and that's what happens. It still happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it still happens with mm-hmm. students, and it happens with adults, because during the course of the play and Harriet, um, Harriet's process of coming to who she is, and, and, one, and one thing I love about the show is, you know, we only see Harriet's, Harriet's stoic and looking tough. It, bo- it bothers me when people say, yeah, she's kind of like a man. No, she wasn't like a man. She's a powerful woman, and, and, and there needs to be an understanding that women are not less powerful than men. It's a different power. It's not less. It's just different. And right. she had relationships and, 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 and cared about the same things that most of us care about. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's really, really important. And I think, you know, when, when slavery comes up, People get very uncomfortable because they don't understand it. They don't know what it is, and they just want to say, "Just it, you know, it happened a long time ago." Actually, it's happening now. It's happening now in an overt and a covert way. It's happening here, and it's happening all over the world because people. There, there's a line. I've written a screenplay about Harriet, um, and mm-hmm. there's a line in there that her father says that when people spend their whole life hating you, it's because they're scared of your power, and that's something right. we need to understand. We have power that people fear, and we don't. And we don't know we we have it. If if we knew we'd have it, well, I won't say we. Some people don't know that they have it. When when we know that we have it, we use it. And when we don't know that we have it, we still try to use it, but it goes into um, a, a path that's not necessarily a great one because we're trying to follow the paradigm or follow the value system of people who have nothing to do with us. I have a friend who's South African, Duma, uh, Duma Lobo. He's he's a, a producer. He did Sarafina and he did what was it, Albert and a bunch of things. And Duma used to say to me, he he could not for the life. He said, I cannot understand how when you are free, because this was when apartheid was still in effect, you just hand your children over to somebody else to ed- educate them. I cannot get. I don't get that. He it just he just couldn't fathom. That choice, mm-hmm. and I think about Larnberg Institute. I don't know. Do you know about Larnberg Institute? It's the oldest. No, black, no. It's the oldest mm-hmm. black boarding school. This is really amazing. It's the oldest black boarding school in the country, and mm-hmm. it was founded in 1904 in Larnberg, mm-hmm. North Carolina. And I got to interview one of the founders. Her name was Tiny McDuffie. Her husband was E. M. McDuffie. His name was Emmanuel, and um, I met his grandson, and, you know, we became friends and blah, blah, blah. And I learned about the school. Dizzy Gillespie went there, and I interviewed him about it because he, he went there, and he said that's where he learned to play the horn because they were trying to make him play football, and he didn't want to get hit, so he decided he'd do music. <laughs> <laughs> and um, But it's the oldest black school in the country, and and right. continue, and it's, it's, it stayed within the family. And they only accepted money from people who weren't going to try to tell them what to do. So right. in, when, when Brown versus the Board of Ed, Ed, Education happened, right. people pulled their children out of that school. And that school had been there from 1904 to 1954, 50 years of educating young people. And uh-uh-uh. they pulled the students out and went to the integrated schools. And okay, I have they to, I have to that's why that killed, they say that it killed um, E.M., that it broke his heart that they made that choice. Wow. Now, we would have a similar story in New Jersey 
if we didn't do the research and find and found out for ourselves that the part where the school was closed because black people decided to go to integrated white schools. Mm-hmm. Now that that lie would have stuck in New Jersey mm-hmm. if we hadn't done the research. Okay. My very first public speaking engagement was um a lecture based on a school called um, Bordentown School. The original name was the New Brunswick School of the, Inst- the Institute of Technology. It originally started in a one-house room in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And it was founded by a former slave in South Carolina, uh, AME minister by the name of uh, Rice, R-I-C-E. And I'm very close with his granddaughter, mm-hmm. Mildred, Dr. Mildred Rice, a professor at one of the colleges in Jersey. Well, anyway, um, after I did the talk, the state of New Jersey, let's, let's go back to the school. The school eventually um, grew, and an Irish activist from Ireland, Commodore Stewart, gave the land in his will to the two Reverend Rice to expand his school. In his will, his land could only be used for educational purposes. He was part of a Navy training system. The ship that he um, he um, commanded was called the um, the um, Iron the Constitution, and it was known as Ironside. So they named this black school after him in his honor because he gave them like a hundred acres. And the school was modeled after Booker T. Washington School, Tuskegee. Everything was built by the students. Now, in 19, close to 1955, New Jersey got really, really shrewd and tricked the administrators into changing the name from Ironside to the manual. It went from technical to now manual training institute for Negroes. Mm-hmm. Now, once they changed the name, and I'm into names and roots really made me aware since, since I saw that movie at 10 years old, that there was something shaky going on with names. And they made them change the name to this manual school for Negroes. And then in 55, similar to your school, they said, well, now that we passed this law in your favor, quote, in your favor, we're going to use this law to close down all the schools that you formed and that are working brilliantly. Now, when I say brilliantly, Paul Robeson and Einstein were neighbors to the school. Bordentown and Princeton are right next to each other. Mm-hmm. And they awarded scholarships and did a lot of work. It was the, the I mean, the tennis court was top notch. They had all kinds of um, track and field, tennis court, national programs and competitions went down on this campus. So in 55, they closed it. And they said they closed it because the school failed to integrate and include white kids into the program. So because white children historically did not want to go to the school, they shut Mm -hmm. the school down during the summer and threw away all the stuff inside of the school and they would try to say that black people just abandoned their school. And I have an a interview 
and I'll share with you later, from a lady um, who did a book about it, about not this school, but her school, similar to your school, where this is common, that all these black schools with black names on it, mm-hmm. in honor of black people, were closed in 55. And then the black yeah. teachers lost their jobs. Right. Jewish teachers right. had to start teaching black children. And it's important that we understand why it was so that the Jewish people um, were now given the responsibility to teach the black children. Now, I don't, I don't mean to go too deep, but I'm sorry for cutting in, but this is important. All of these schools, I'm pretty sure the school you're talking about, in the center of the campus is a church, a chapel. Mm-hmm. The center, right. The center, and you mentioned AME, was even a part of um, Harriet, right? Right. right. Mm-hmm. So the AME was part of this church, I mean, part of this school, and all, mostly look at all the campuses that are truly um, HBCUs, meaning that prior to Civil War, created by blacks um, without any aid from the North and white abolitionists, the schools, the curriculum was centered around the AME Bible. When we shifted in 55 and we had Darwinism introduced into our curriculum and we had Jewish teachers teaching our children, which immediately by default extracted the Christian uh, tenets, we now have what we have going on in schools now, which is chaos. So um, when you, you, I I challenge you and your people to do more research, and I'm pretty sure just like all the other schools, we didn't abandon our schools. They took the schools. I mean, actually, actually, Laurenburg kept the school. The people did leave because it's still in this. It's still in existence. And Bishop McDuffie, he's the the headmaster. He's the direct descendant of EM. He's the the great. He's the grandson. Um, and, and okay, they did and leave, and so they started recruiting students. It be, they started recruiting students from other areas to to come in and make it a, a full time boarding school, so that they could okay. have a population there. Yeah, now so, it gets worse with boarding with the boarding town schools. Guess what mm-hmm. the school is used for today? Now the state has taken over It's not a prison, is it? <laughs> yes, it is. Exactly. Really? Both mm-hmm. sides of the highway, 100 acres. Mm-hmm. Well, they changed it to a mental institution, and then now it's a juvenile correctional center. And when I did my talk in 2004, mm-hmm. when the people came out and I, I gave a tour of the campus with Mildred, Dr. Mildred Rice, the granddaughter, the the black people that live in the town that went through the whole entire education system in Boyntown, they were livid that they did not know that that was their school. And they have wow. been there all their lives. They did not know the history of their school. So the state of New Jersey, the people who shut it down and turned it into a prison, mm-hmm. took over the project and made a film about it and in their film, they said the school was really closed down because Booker T. Washington couldn't get along with W.E. Du Bois. And that's why they closed and the, the last, school. Yeah, that's, why they, that's, that's their story, the state of New Jersey. And in the last, I think, 10 seconds, they say, they slip it in there that the governor, Maynard, was the one who shut it down in the summer. So if you let them tell our story, we, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. But let's get back to the A.M.E., and Harriet Tubman 
in her house. And was she really, you know, how was she connected to that church? That oh, very much. She had so. that kind of relationship. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. she had she had a deep she had a deep religious and spiritual. She had both, um, and I mm-hmm. and I make a distinction because spiritually, I, I look at it this, this way: a lot of it, religion is external. We, we take external information and synthesize right. it within. Spirit mm-hmm. is from inside out, and I think that's where. Um, you know, you mentioned that there were Jewish teachers, and you know, we've had every kind of people mm-hmm. as allies, as well as as um, enemies, opposite or allies. I guess. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and I think that it's important that Harriet had that. Harriet learned one of the things mm-hmm. in Harriet's return is she has a relationship with John Brown, and she talks about she mm-hmm. never thought in a million years that she could have the, the depth of caring about any white man until she met John Brown. Right. She didn't think that that was possible because she grew up, well, the way she grew up. And, right. And so her, her belief that we were self-sufficient and that we are self-sufficient, and I think that makes it, 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 It's interesting because I was thinking about, I was thinking about the nation of Islam today because, as I said, you know, I grew up and all these different things were going on, Malcolm X, you know, right. this, oh, King, everything is going on. And right. there is absolutely a we are going to take our own power and be in charge of our, our lives. And the processes were a process, and then it just kind of died back. And I don't think in any small way it wasn't due to, Infiltrating drugs and a whole bunch of other stuff into um, our world. I, I don't. Right. And also, just from a plain psyche, watching everyone who said something powerful and was making a difference get assassinated, that didn't make people want to jump out there either. I mean, there 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 is this self-protective survivor instinct that's in people. That sometimes, unless we have um, uh, a coalition or a uh, uh, group action that makes us feel a part of a whole that cannot be denied and doesn't get, it doesn't dissipate because a few people get pulled out and go into high-powered jobs or go live in wherever and whatever, and then what we need as a foundation is, is yanked out. It's like the rug, the, the rug got right. yanked out. I understand. I understand and so it's building back up, I think. I, I do. I know it's building back up. And, and I, 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 want, I want you to be clear when I say that the school was shifted into the hands of the Jewish teachers, and that always backfires. Okay. So when, when we talk about what the evildoers' plans are and what they intend, and we know, this, we know from the 60s the Jewish people were one of our biggest allies. Mm-hmm. Now, even though that may not have been by design when they took the schools from us, I don't think they really understood what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to note, you know, coming from me, um, when I say that the schools shifted into the hands in the 60s into this Jewish entity, it was not necessarily all in a um, in a bad way. You know, we had them as allies. But I want to get back to 
Booker T. Washington and his relationship with a Jewish man by the name of Rosenwald, Julius Rosenwald. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He built 5,000 schools, the two of them together. Yeah. In the South. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there was, it's a movie um, that just came out last summer about Rosenwald and the Rosenwald schools. Mm-hmm. Now, the beauty, when you talk about spirit, the beauty of the Rosenwald schools and Booker T. Washington, who was a former slave himself, um, the 5,000 schools that they were able to build within 20 years, mm-hmm. Rosenwald was the CEO of Sears and Robot, catalog company at the time. And he agreed to help Booker T., build these schools with a matching fund, right? Mm-hmm. Now, how he learned about Booker T and Booker T schools Tuskegee was his minister, a rabbi, told him as his spiritual guide to read Booker T's book. Okay. And he said, you need to learn from Booker T. So mm-hmm. impressed was he with Booker when he visited the school, he decided to make this partnership. Now, mm-hmm. Little later on, Rosenwald, being the businessman that he was, he said, "I could give you prefabricated schools. You no longer have to build a school. We'll just drop them down, and mm-hmm. you have a school." Mm-hmm. And Booker said to him, "No. The, the 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 beauty of the school is not the building, but where our strength comes from is the bond that we form." While wow, we're working together, You're building the building, mm-hmm. building mm-hmm. it. Right. So that relationship um, that Booker brought to the table in his schools, all of those Rosenwald schools, Maya Angelou was a graduate of the Rosenwald school, mm-hmm. and you have to hear her talk about it. So um, Jewish, we know, we know, we have when we're searching. And we're being guided by God, and we look to Him. No matter who, who the devil brings in our path, <laughs> if we're on the right mission, they could bring a Jewish person, a Muslim person, anybody from any faith. We're all going to find a common good, and we're going to reach that destination, exactly. no matter what faith. So we exactly. can't be. Um, and it's by consciousness. It's by yeah. It's by consciousness. It's by intention. It's by an understanding from a soul and cellular level about mm-hmm. who we are in the collective and what we're doing here. And and you right. know, doing on the, when I say here, I'm talking about on the planet. Right. And and our um our part in it. And I think that I know this. That if we, mm-hmm. I'm going to say the, I'm going to say this. I'm going to come forever. But mind our own business. Now, our, our business is wide. We have wide rippling business. But when we're mm-hmm. not trying to change somebody else, but we're trying to be who we are and put it out in the world, it works beautifully. Yes. And 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 that's. I mean, that's that's that's. What I said before. Harry didn't ask anybody. Oh, can I do so and so? I was like, yes. here's what I'm doing. And sometimes yes. it wasn't. I mean, it was hard. Um, she was swindled. I mean, you know, I thought about money. I think about money because money, in and of itself, just lying there is benign. I remember I, I was in Africa, I was in, and so I, I was getting a beverage, and they said it's five million dollars. I'm like, what? Because <laughs> my five million dollars. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So it's all relative. It's like, okay, so depending upon where you are. <laughs> right, right. You know? What's the value, right. But, yeah, um, what's the value? What's our value? Our, our, our valuing ourselves. I mean, I think that's just so huge. You know, no matter what's going on, if you're I, – I, I, I think I – I told you this. I do a workshop called Culture in the Quarter, and um, it's about life in the quarter, and mm-hmm. and that the fact that no matter what, our spirits are going to create. We're, we're wired that way. Human beings are wired that way, and mm-hmm. it helps people to understand and to create. And and so I, I teach, and then. We break into two groups, and one one group creates the quarter the way it would have been in the 18, 1700s, and the other one creates what's enslaving you now. Is it family? Is it thought? Is it a belief system? Is it money? What is it? Ed- education. And we, we share that, and that helps people get things in perspective as well um, because I think we have to understand that we always, everybody, has a culture of creativity, cuisine, art, relationships, resistance. It's all in this, and we have to do it. It's just by degree. Harriet had, like, you know, degree to the 9,000th power. Right, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, but people keeping their children safe, that's the same thing. Um, teaching children to read. I'm, I'm, I'm saying children now, but also adults. Knowing mm-hmm. how, when you when you, when you have a child, take taking care of it, understanding that you're talking to a child of God, which is a child of you, because you're a child of God as well. However, you okay. interpret God, but it's a power for good. It's never a power for negative. And when it is negative, it ceases to be about God. It's about something else. Got it. Okay, so we the hour has went. It has gone by so fast. Okay. Okay. Um, right. I want you to. You went to sure. areas I wasn't expecting, but <laughs> it's fine. It's good. Uh, you know what? I am guilty as charged. Uh, no, know, no, I no. Of course, God is charged. I love hearing you talk. It just amazes me what you know about everything. <laughs> oh well, I don't. You know, I know a little bit about a lot of little things, but I, I interview people like you, and I'm learning every night, and I love to learn. So I will admit that. But we have to get back to. How can we RSVP to okay. come out and see your show? Yes, and I mean I really want people to be there. I I I don't just mm-hmm. want it. Harriet wants it. Harriet made me do this, so y'all have to you know help a sister out. Um, right. There is it is not there isn't a charge, um, so you are our guest, and mm-hmm. the play is at well um, the the best way I guess you, you can go on my website because it's there. You, you can go on my website. Um, and I'm going to update my website in a second. And you can go on Facebook. There's also a Harriet's Return Facebook page. And there's my Facebook, which is Karen Jones Meadows Now. Or you can go on Karen Jones Meadows. But Karen Jones Meadows Now is probably the better place to go. There's more information there, I believe. And Or you can email, if you'd like to have tickets and you know you want tickets, SundayHarrietsReturn at gmail.com. Monday Harriet's return at gmail dot com or Tuesday Harriet's return at gmail dot com. It's July seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen, and of course it's going to be a first come first serve, particularly since there's 
no um, charge. We do. We are going to have a special gift for you. There's a drawing and there's a talk back. And the play, um, it's, it's two hours, including the intermission, and it goes from the contemporary into Harriet's afterlife. And um, mm-hmm. you, and you, if you go to my website, KarenJonesMeadows.com, and, and you go to the Harriet's Return page, you can see a lot about about where where we've been, what we're doing. And this paradigm, I want people to be able to see it, so that's why we're doing it the way we're doing it in New York. And it's in Midtown. It's on 64th Street um, at the Marjorie S. Dean Theater. All right. Okay. okay. And my contact okay. number, my, I've been even having phone numbers and stuff out, so it's it's out there. It's on everything. And also, I didn't say this, but if you can also email Buppy Hipster, just like it sounds, PR, um, at gmail.com, and that her name is Sylvia Jameson, and Sylvia is doing the, uh, the a lot a lot of the PR. She's doing most of the PR, so you can also contact her. So it's Buppy Hipster, and oh, okay. and it's also on the on all the different um, websites that I told you about. Yeah. Okay. So all right. Going out. And, and they're all matinees. They're, they're all at three o'clock. Also, yeah. So that you can come. Okay. Be comfortable. So and um, we we have a nice. I I bumped into. I was actually looking, and then, well, yeah, I bumped into a woman, and her name is Sylvia Wong Lewis, and she is an expert in food and food during the period of enslavement. And she's going to be creating something for us to share with people, and so that's going to be really cool. She's amazing. So you can check her out too. Her name is Sylvia Wong Lewis. Um, yeah, I spoke to her, and she's pretty incredible, and her family history is incredible as well. Thank you, Leslie. Oh, <laughs> anytime. You know, we talk for hours all the time. Whenever we do talk, I learn so much, and I enjoy talking to you, Karen. I will see you. Um, at your performance, that is for sure, and I look forward to seeing it for the third time. So um, good luck, and let's keep our people in prayer um, all over this world that is suffering from all types of oppression and abuse. And and also the misinformation that, that goes out about why things are happening, blaming it on things, that aren't true and not blaming it on things that are true and, you know, all mm-hmm. all, all of that. So, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, great care. All right. Okay. You have a good, good night. Okay, bye-bye. Good night.